1: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. The only narratives I consumed around eating disorders were girl gets ill, girl seeks help, girl gets better and gets on with the rest of her life. And it just wasn't the case for me. And I really, really struggled.
0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and the realest conversations around everything and anything. Now let's get real. Welcome back to RealPod, everybody. I hope you are ready to really think today and contemplate a lot of things because I feel like the conversation you're about to listen to was so special, not only because it was like most of my interviews where, you know, we hear about the guest and we discuss their background, but specifically today, we really just kind of let ourselves be present and started to talk about some of the things that I think a lot of us struggle with. If we've recovered from an eating disorder or had past issues with food, such as, you know, are there still things that bother you or trigger you when you talk about food or you approach food in your body? Are there things that you can't remember or don't like to think about because it was just such a dark or hard time for you? And that's kind of the conversation we're going to get into today. And it really was powerful for me to have. I really enjoyed it. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear it today. I just want to offer up a warning just in case anyone might be triggered by this episode that my guest and I are going to be diving into eating disorder and eating disorder recovery. Speaking of our guest, she is the incredible Alex Light, who is a body confidence and anti-diet influencer. She has amassed over 300,000 followers on her Instagram platform. I absolutely love this account. I think it is a must follow. It is so informative. It's educational. Not only does it make you feel less alone, but I actually learn things from following Alex. You should definitely check her Instagram out. It's Alex Light underscore LDN. And I recommend you definitely check that out. On her page, she shares the realities behind edited social media posts and empowers women to feel good about their bodies. Alex struggled with multiple eating disorders, so after she recovered from that, she felt inclined to share her story in hopes of helping others and fighting back against toxic diet culture. So we are going to dive into all of these things, recovery journeys and dealing with the many ups and downs that everyone faces when they rebuild and repair their relationships with food and themselves. Before we jump into today's episode, I did want to give a shout out to one of you fabulous listeners who left me such a sweet review. This one is from Moni99, and she said, this show is so informative and real. I love all the conversations Victoria has and the amazing fun little tips that she sprinkles in each podcast. (laughs) Oh my gosh, thank you. Victoria is an inspiration and she is so real, which I appreciate so much. This podcast is the best and I would recommend it 100% to anyone. I look forward to every podcast because I love the tips, the real conversations, and the people that come on and make me feel like it's okay not to be perfect. Moni99, thank you for leaving this review. It is so, so sweet. It truly makes my day to read these reviews and know that you guys are really enjoying the podcast. And speaking of feeling like it's okay not to be perfect, Moni, this guest today is going to do just that for you because she really goes there. And I just loved this conversation. If you guys have not yet rated or reviewed RealPod, you can do that on iTunes. It takes less than 20 seconds and it really would mean a lot to me and help out the show. So if you've been enjoying RealPod, please go to iTunes and rate and review this podcast. Every single week, I'm reading one of your special reviews. So you just might be shouted out next week. All right, without further ado, we're gonna get into this episode. I did wanna let you know real quick that there will not be an episode of Real Pod next week. I know, very sad, very sad. But I will be celebrating Christmas with my family, gonna do some self-care, gonna take the week off, but I will be back in action with some fabulous guests and content on the 30th. So make sure you don't miss it. Okay, let's welcome our fabulous guest, Alex Light. Alex, thank you so much for joining me on RealPod. I'm so excited. Your Instagram, it covers everything. I feel like it's the Bible for diet culture, body image, disordered eating. And so I found you one day and I just thought, oh my gosh, and you're posting every day and the content is amazing. I can't even believe how creative you are with all of that stuff so thanks for coming on I can't wait to dive into all of this with you
1: oh thank you so much for having me I feel the same about your Instagram actually I found you through TikTok and I was like oh my god this girl's so cool so I'm honestly honored to be on here and to uh yeah for you to interview me I'm excited I'm
0: so excited. And it's so fun to meet people who live on totally different sides of the world. I mean, it's like, what is it? 5 p.m. where you are and it's 9 a.m. for me. It's crazy how, yeah. And you realize how many of us go through the same things in these completely different places, feeling like we're the only one. And then you find someone on the internet who has a parallel story to you.
1: Totally. And I think that's why social media is so magical as well. Like, all the stick it gets and it can be it does have a dark side but it brings together people from all over the world who have you know because like you said we all feel like we're alone in this and, and you know we're not at all so yeah I think that's amazing about social media for sure yeah, there are the
0: pros and there are the cons, right? And for obviously sure. the cons are you know the comparison and the diet culture and the standard of beauty that's perpetuated via social media. But then there's the pros, which are connecting. And now we're seeing this new wave of using our voices on social media to actually promote something better. I actually find yeah. that in everything I've been through, as much as social media was like the anti-platform for me, it cost me a lot of issues- early on. And I'm, I don't know if it, did it cause you problems early on with social media? One of the reasons you struggled with body image? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I I mean, the problems were there already, but it definitely exacerbated them for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so when that happens, you think, oh gosh, this is never going to be good for me. But now with all of the amazing creators I've found, it's actually so helpful for me. And I'm learning so much by having social media, but connected to positive accounts.
1: Yeah, totally. Like I always like go on and I bang on and on about curating your social media feed because it's almost like it's such a powerful thing you can do, right? Because that's our reality is that we spend our generation and the generation below us as well spend so much time on social media. You can't escape that. You're consuming content all the time. So if you can make the content that you consume positive and, you know, content that makes you feel good, it's going to transform your life for sure especially I don't know if if it was the same for you but beforehand before I started on this like body confidence and self-love journey um I followed people who really in essence just kind of made me feel bad and they triggered and they fed my my eating disorder and my body image issues but when if you can switch that up and like turn your feed into something positive like you start to internalize all of this positivity and all of these, you know, all those messages get internalized and you start to believe it starts to change your belief system. And it's amazing, honestly.
0: Yeah, I agree a thousand percent. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. I feel like we're going to be just jumping off each other with this conversation (laughs) and the topics that we're going to have. So you mentioned you had struggled with body image issues and eating, and then social media exacerbated it. So then where did those issues stem from? Did something happen when you were little and you really just picked up on how you thought you were supposed to look?
1: Yeah, I think, It's so complex, isn't it? And I think for some people, they have a a specific moment that was pivotal for them. And and that's kind of where, you know, what sparked their eating disorder, their body image issues. But for me, it was just a general malaise with my body and never feeling very good about my body and also believing, truly believing that my worth and my value in the world was connected to how I looked and more specific specifically that is my weight and, and how believe that thinner equal better and this was all kind of combined with the fact that I started to diet really young like I can't pinpoint the age exactly but I reckon around like 12 years old like 11 or 12 years old when I went to our secondary school I started to diet and that create because of the restriction that created so many problems with emotional eating binge eating and it was all one big horrible cocktail that just led to, sorry, I I feel like I'm just rambling. I can't remember what your (laughs) initial question was. Please ramble. That's what we're
0: here for. Your story, girl, keep going. (laughs) I don't think you
1: actually asked about the eating disorders, but that's kind of, that's what the whole mix of all of those components led to was then, you know, it was like really bad body image issues, which then led to disordered eating, which then led to eating disorders, um, which and the eating disorders kind of morphed a few times before I I finally recovered
0: of it. You know, what's interesting is you mentioned just now you can't recall the exact age or you're not really sure. And actually, as I was listening to your podcast, I heard you say something similar about how when you think back on your eating disorders, you can't necessarily remember like certain things. And I really resonated with that because sometimes it is such a blur what I went through. And like literally the other day I'll have these like moments and, and anyone listening to this has already been warned, you know, we're probably going to go there just so you know, I put that in the introduction, but like, I had a moment where I remembered like a time I tried to give myself food poisoning and I like, and I did not even just because I, because one time I got food poisoning when I was really young and I lost all this weight. So when I was in college, I was like, Oh, if I could give myself food poisoning, like that would be a quick fix. And I just remembered that, like, I think I was like going to eat something and I just unlocked a memory. And I was like, that is so dark. But it made me think of how we do kind of block out this, these traumatic thoughts and experiences that we've had once we're so far in recovery. You know, it's like harder for me to tap yeah. into that pain.
1: Oh, well, you poor thing. Like, I really, I really feel you when you say that because I remember doing stuff like that and feeling so desperate that it felt like I would go to any length like any length, mm-hmm. like no matter how extreme, I just wanted to lose weight. So I, to- I totally like get where you're coming from. But I think any times in your life that's super anxious and intense, you tend to, once you're past them, you can't really remember them that well. And I found this out actually through my therapist when I started getting therapy and and she was asking questions and I was like, I don't remember. I honestly can't remember, like, if there's something wrong with me. She's like, she said, you know, that it's, it's just normal if you've had a period of high anxiety. Even at the time, it was like a whirlwind, like your mind's all over the place. Like you're so consumed with body and weight and food and everything you're putting in your lips or not putting through your lips. And just your whole mind is consumed with this and it leaves no space for anything else. And it's just, yeah, it's a really, it's a really horrible time. Totally. And that plays
0: an interesting role with being an influencer, having a social media presence, because I'll find that, you know, I post about these things and I, it makes sense to me, but I'm thinking of like the content. I'm thinking of a great story and how this is going to be relatable and help people. And it's, it is true for me, but part of me is like detached from the emotional component. And then sometimes tell me if you have this too, I have these days or weeks where, I actually let myself feel the content I'm creating. And I'm like, I just start crying. And I'm like, this is so, I'm like, I can't believe I post about this every single day. And so I think there's a way that we protect ourselves by turning off those emotions. So we don't have to feel it
1: every single time. Totally. I admire creators who do this while they're still really going through it because I don't think I could have done. Honestly, I don't. And you know I'm sure it's the same for you as as well like the amount of trauma that I see every day in my dms amount of pain and suffering I wouldn't be able to do it if I couldn't switch off from it really I know what you're saying like I'm posting stuff and I'm talking about my experiences which are so horrendous at the time but you do kind of end up feeling slightly detached and it's nice when you can plug in again and like really feel it even though it's quite painful But yeah, I think I was just going to say we have to protect ourselves. I think by detaching a little bit, I think that's like quite important with what we do. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. I posted about my
0: mental health when it came to depression and anxiety Kind of when I was going through it, but the body image stuff, absolutely not. Like that was still, I needed to feel recovered to even talk about that because there's so much shame when it comes to body image and food. And, you know, I mean, the whole thing. And you mentioned how you just wanted to lose weight, just lose, lose, lose weight. Why do you think everyone is so obsessed with shrinking themselves?
1: I think this really comes down to diet culture which basically tells us, and this is kind of at the root of diet culture, it basically tells us that weight loss and being thin is the answer to all of our problems. Being thin is gonna make you happy, more successful, more loved, able to get a partner. Like we're just fed this idea and this false belief and narrative that being thin is the best thing that humans can achieve. It's so
0: ridiculous when you think about it and you hear it said like that.
1: (laughs) It's crazy. I know, it's mad, isn't it? It's totally mad, honestly. And they kind of like that this diet culture society has created this problem. So created the idea that, you know, the belief that we can't be successful or happy or you name it if we're not thin. And then we have a problem on our hands, then well, a lot of us do because we're not thin, because it's not our body shape, or you know, one of the other hundreds of factors that goes into our body, our body weight and shape. So then we have a problem and then they come up with a solution, which is to spend money and time and, you know, keeps us facing the mirror rather than the world, which is so true, but I can't remember who said it now. Sorry. I love that. That
0: has given me chills right there. Diet culture forces women to face the mirrors and not the world.
1: Yeah. So it's a patriarchal tool as well. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's so mad. And when you talk about it and look about, look at it like this, and I think, you know that's what a lot of my posts do as well. i try, I try and like force us all to really take a step back and. See it for what it really is, because I think a lot of it goes unquestioned. And like I know for me, so much of it, like I didn't understand until I started researching it and doing the stuff that I do on Instagram. I just took it as gospel, like that's what it was. Like you do need to be thin, and it's not good to be big, and it's not good to have fat on your body, and cellulite is bad. It's cellulite is horrible. And yeah, I think once you start to question it, and then you start to see it everywhere, and yeah, so so that's kind of what I try and do with my posts as well to like dismantle it and break it down a little bit.
0: With all the uncertainty going on these days, it can feel so stressful, more stressful than usual. And I know we've all been dealing with it in some way or another. And if this is resonating with you, I really think it's a great idea to get support from a therapist to figure out how to find peace and quiet with so much chaos going on. I wholeheartedly recommend Talkspace for therapy. You can sign up online and start therapy the same day as you sign up. So depending on the plan you choose, you can text, video, or send voice messages to your licensed therapist. So it's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions from the comfort of your home. Talkspace is secure and private using the latest end-to-end bank rate encryption technology to store client information and comply with the latest HIPAA regulations. So this is a great opportunity to get connected with a therapist. My therapist gave me practical guidance that really changed my life for the better. I'm so glad that I found Talkspace and got the support that I need, and you can too. As a listener of RealPod, you will get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. So to match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com or download the app. Make sure to use the code RealPod to get $100 off your first month. Once again, that's Talkspace.com, and you can use the code RealPod to get $100 off your first month of Talkspace therapy. I just wanted to let you know that if you ever want to ask me a question if you're ever wondering, I wish I could say something to Victoria, I'm listening to her, but I wish I could speak and we could talk that I just joined a service called Hey Hero, where you can ask me any questions you want and I will send you a video response back. Yes. So fun. It's basically like we're FaceTiming. You can head to heyhero.com slash influencer slash Victoria Garrick. And for a small fee, you can submit your question and I will send a video response back. The link is also in the description of this episode. So I hope you go check that out. I would love to hear from you. I would love to hopefully help you give you any words of wisdom or encouragement that you might be needing. So once again, you can head to heyhero.com slash influencer slash Victoria Garrick, or click the link in the description of this episode. And for a small fee, ask me anything you want. I'll be sending you a video response back this week. Can't wait to hear from you. How did your recovery even get jump-started because you suffered from, correct me if I'm wrong, three different types of eating disorders. So that must've been very difficult for you to want to come out of and also to actually have the recovery process start to show a change.
1: Yeah. And this is where like what we were saying before comes into it in that I find it so complex. And like, I wish when I was, you know, when I'm talking to people and they ask me like about my journey, I kind of wish I had like an easy route, like an easy way to say it. They could all be like wrapped up in a bow. But even in my head, it's so complex because like, like, as I said, I went through a few different iterations of the eating disorder. So initially it was anorexia and then that kind of morphed into bulimia and then, which then morphed into binge eating. And I had help, you know, I had therapy probably about a year into my anorexia. My mum said, you need to go in and see someone, we need to get this sorted. So that, Kickstarted that the um, initial therapy but therapist at the time she taught me a lot about diet culture and sort of helped eradicate that belief that I needed to be thin but it didn't really help with my emotional eating which kind of got worse and worse and worse and I stopped seeing her after about a year and then again it was my mum I was going through a period of binge eating and bulimia and really just just massively struggling it was my entire life and I had no life outside of it you know I kind of broke down to my mum and she just encouraged me to go and see a a psychiatrist and that was it really that was that was the turning and I combined that that professional help then with reading a lot about eating disorders and researching it a ton and I watched every YouTube video there was on like bulimia and binge eating like I just immersed myself in it completely and I found that was really important for me understanding my eating disorders, where they come from, what they were and why I felt the way I did really like empowered me to be able to then recover properly.
0: Why was the second time you got help different than the first? Because you said you saw a therapist when you were struggling with anorexia, didn't prove to be helpful. And then this next time you see a psychiatrist and a change does happen. So what was the difference?
1: I think initially my first therapist really focused on it was cbt and it kind of challenged this like deep-rooted fear of being fat or putting on weight and that was excellent that kind of helped to stop the anorexia in its tracks which i know isn't the case for everyone but it was like luckily the case for me but it didn't tackle the emotional eating you know and i hate saying this because i don't want to discourage anyone from, from seeking help but she she thought the emotional eating would go away basically once this belief about being thin went away it never did um you know and once my, my my meals were back on track as well and I was eating three meals a day but it didn't and it kind of got worse and I think the second time around that I was ma- more mature I was in a better position mentally to be able to to receive the help, I was much more receptive. Um, I wanted help much more than I did when I was struggling with anorexia. And I think I, because I combined it with learning and doing so much research of my own, I think something just clicked in me, thank God. (laughs) Yeah,
0: and I'm so glad that it did. In line with your recovery, I know you've talked about how your recovery journey was not as easy as people think it is or as it's portrayed oftentimes to the public that recovery is like this. Well, it's so funny. I think on your podcast, you said something like like a girl figures it out is recovered and then like is great. And I actually heard that. And I kind of felt like I was one of the very lucky ones because I do feel like I had that experience, like where I was really struggling. And then I found the help that worked exactly for me, which was intuitive eating and rejecting diet culture. And that just clicked for me. And I know that but i totally know that that does not happen for everyone. You know, i think there is something to be said about certain people maybe maybe i had that epiphany so that i could produce this content and start helping others sooner, but not everyone has that realization. I thought it was really powerful for me to hear you say that because i need to remember too that not everyone is like me and not everyone's going to have the ability to i don't know turn the switch the way that i did. And that doesn't mean that one person is stronger, or smarter than the other. Not at all. Everyone's just different and everyone needs their own special thing. That's going to help them start recovery and really mean it. And that's why I also think it's great for us to be talking today is because you had a much longer recovery process that took a lot of time.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's wonderful to hear both sides of the coin because I think it's so encouraging to hear that it can happen like that. You can have an epiphany moment and it kind of changes your life and really, you know, you recover from there on. I think it's also important for people to understand that that might not always be the case because I didn't know that that couldn't be the case because everything I'd read about anorexia and, and eating disorders in general, everything I'd read and seen kind of presented it to me in that way like all nice, packaged up in a bow, girl gets ill, girl seeks help, girl gets better it was really damaging to me because it made me feel like I'd failed when I kept going backwards, you know, I would kept taking one step back and feeling like there's something wrong with me because I can't do this. And so many people can do this. So that's why I think it's always important to, to keep that on the table, you know, because so for anyone listening, who's suffering, who might be, you know, just feeling fed up and exhausted at the constant backwards and forwards and ups and downs. And, you know, I felt like I was constantly relapsing and I wasn't like, I always say now that those little lapses, like that's where I learned the most about me and my journey and my recovery. And that those moments was when I really found the true coping mechanisms and the true tools that were going to eventually lead me to recovery, even though they felt disastrous and end of the world at the time you know, I'm not discouraging people either, but just know it, but just sort of managing expectations in a way and letting this be a space where no one kind of feels pressure to recover overnight. Because like you said, everyone has their own timeline. Like it's so different for so many people because everyone has grown up in complete different circumstances. Their brains are wired differently. It's just a whole, like, it's a huge like ball of wool to pick And some people's ball of wools can be much bigger than others. And and it's important to realize that and know that your time is, is your time. And whatever, however long that needs to be, that's that's good. That's for you. Yeah.
0: And my favorite thing is how you said those little moments where you think you're relapsing or you think you're breaking or you're being bad. You know, I've had so many people ask me, oh, I was doing so great, and then I had a binge, or I was doing so great, and then I restricted, whatever it is. And it's like, that is going to happen. I mean, no one is going to be perfect for the rest of their life. There's going to be a time where you emotionally eat the popcorn because it's someone's birthday, or you're going to have more than you were actually hungry for. But like, because you are human and handling those moments, those tough moments are what makes you stronger. And those are the true test.
1: Yeah. And I think, A characteristic for a lot of the people who are susceptible to eating disorders um, is perfectionism. Like a lot of us struggle with perfectionism and a black and white mentality, which I am absolutely guilty of. And for me, it was like the recovery had to be perfect. It had to look like recovering every single day and any steps back I Thought well, that's failure. That's the end of the world, and I might as well not bother. And that's very much that diet mentality as well. So I think if you can get yourself out of that, like black and white, and start living in that grey area of like I'm gonna have dips, I'm gonna have lows. Maybe it'll take me two days to pick myself back up this time. Maybe next time it might only take me one and a half days or one and three quarter days, and then maybe next time one and a half days, and eventually get to a place where picking yourself back up feels a lot easier and just feels manageable, and just feels like you can you can really do this if that makes sense. Oh, it makes total sense. Yeah. So so for me, I feel like the the only narratives I consumed around eating disorders were girl gets ill, girl seeks help, girl gets better and gets on with the rest of her life. And it just wasn't the case for me. And I really, really struggled because it was failing.
0: Another thing I wanted to ask you about is I sometimes feel like, and everyone does this in their own way, but sometimes I feel like maybe that because I struggled with binge eating and emotional eating and not bulimia and not anorexia, sometimes that voice in my head convinces me like you didn't have it as worse as someone else Mm -hmm. or your recovery was destined to be easier because you had one thing to fix, which was emotional eating and restriction. I don't know. I just convinced myself that like maybe I don't really, I think it's very easy for us to invalidate or minimize like our own experience. And I talk a lot about like how I recovered, but I wanted to ask you as someone who has dealt with all three of those eating disorders and like really struggled with bulimia, really struggled with anorexia if there is a secret to recovery, because I just think there's people listening right now who are doing exactly what you used to do, right? They're listening to get information, to hear someone's yeah. story because they yeah. want to recover. How can that person actually break through or what would you say
1: to them? Because sometimes I feel like maybe I don't have the answer. So two things. So I will, I will get back to that question if that's okay. But I just like to say that we tend to have this thing that is so damaging to us where we compare ourselves to others and we often feel like you didn't have it bad enough. Um, But there is always someone who has it worse than you. But that doesn't take away and that doesn't invalidate your own feelings. I think there is another quote that I'm going to butcher because I can't remember who said it. But the quote is like, if you drown in two foot of water or 10 foot of water, you still drown. Yes, I've heard that before. If you're struggling, you're struggling and that's valid and you deserve help. Just like I did, just like you did, just like anyone who's listening, who's who is struggling or who is suffering, they deserve help too. Um, I think that's really important to remember that, especially with eating disorders, because we see these horror stories of people who got so you know incredibly thin and then had to go into hospital, and we think, okay, well, mine's not that bad, so it can't be that bad, and I should just get over it. But you know, it's a suffering. You're suffering. So that was my first point. But my number one tip when it comes to recovery and this is not something that I realized at the time I was even kind of conscious of at the time but it's something that with with hindsight I've been able to pinpoint as some a factor that really had like strengthened my recovery and that's self-compassion once I started to be kind to myself which is what my second therapist kind of really instilled in me she really pushed me to show myself kindness and you know give myself a pat on the back for how far I'd come and the progress i would made. It never, it never occurred to me to be proud of this progress. She was like, what does the progress matter if I'm not there, if I haven't sort of completed it, like check. But that really allowed me to, to step back and see like, wow, I've come so far and I should be so proud of myself and just, Kind to myself, and honestly, I think it's incredibly important. And and this just it applies to not only eating disorders but all aspects of our life. Once we can start to practice self compassion, it's honestly like it's magical and it's life changing, and it relieves you of so much pressure and unnecessary like standards to uphold. And I think that's my number one tip.
0: It's like you read my mind when you said it applies to life because that's been something I've been struggling with this week specifically. Is this I have to keep going. I have to keep growing. I have to do more. I have to make more like just this climb. And I keep setting these goals of like, if I could just get this, if I could get this thing, then I will have made it. I will be fine and I can relax. And it's like every time I do something like that, I just create another goal that's farther and that's more. And it can be really hard for me to be nice and pat myself on the back. Like when I'm halfway okay. through the race, similar to what you said. So, I mean, that hits me. It's hard to do that stuff. It's hard to be nice to ourselves. It's so much hard. easier to be nice to other people.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. Right. And what you are saying about goals as well, hundred percent, like I don't make goals for myself because I feel like having those goals keeps me like focused on the future and focused on something else and not focus on what I've got right now and I think it's so important to just be present and be I sound so corny but like be grateful for what you have right now rather than striving for something else because there's always going to be something else you're always going to be striving for something else you hit that you go for the next goal and it's never meaningful you know it never leads to something fulfilling or, or true happiness true contentment for me.
0: I'm going to ask you something kind of weird, but I feel like it can take us somewhere cool. Do you like yourself?
1: Oh, my God, that is a hard question. And that's a question I didn't think I've ever been asked before. But
0: see, isn't it interesting how we're just talking about self-compassion and being nice I to know. ourselves and then it's such I a know. struggle to say, I like myself. I know.
1: I know. It's so hard. It's so hard as well because. And, you know, I, pr- I sort of preach all this stuff and I, I try so hard in my day to day life to practice this stuff myself because, for example, like when it comes to the eating disorder stuff, like I have practiced so much self-compassion with that, that I'm really kind to myself for a really, really hard time. Like I still have these, these standards that I find hard to meet sometimes and I'm difficult on myself. But yeah, I think I do. Do you? Do you like yourself?
0: I like myself most of the time, but I always have this like evil thought in my mind that I'm the worst person ever. I suck. I'm fake. I'm phony. And it's but it's not even true. Like I just one thing I know for sure is that when other people tell me they like me a lot or I'm great that always makes a little part of me like shrivel up and die because I'm like, (laughs) because I question that if I should be receiving a compliment and obviously, you know, people project all the time. Like I'm probably asking you if you like yourself because I'm desperately dying to know like if other people are struggling with that question the same way I am.
1: Yeah, I, I think you'll find most people do definitely. And I think we all have that little evil person inside of us. Like I have that person that's like, 3am is like why did you say that yesterday that was so weird like you might you might have hurt somebody you might have upset somebody by saying that That
0: is so true. I will literally be like about to go to sleep on the middle of the week on a Wednesday. And I'm like, oh my God, that thing you said in seventh grade was so cringe. Like oh no. they are thinking about it now. And I'm like, that was a middle school. No one is thinking about this. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Those yeah. moments.
1: Those standards that we have for ourselves, that we hold ourselves to. And then I think things like that, where we've said something that we give people way more credit for caring than they actually do. Do you know what I mean? Because those people are so wrapped up in themselves. Like they're probably thinking about what they said to to someone else. And I think it's so important to like realize that it's not as big as you think it is.
0: The other thing about the do you like yourself question is, I mean, society has told us so many things, right? And one of the main things is just that we can never like and accept ourselves. I mean, that is the message everywhere. You talk about die culture, but then you talk about sexuality. You talk about if you can like who you are, if you can like, and be appreciative and acknowledge your success. Like there's always more, there's always better. There's always someone else. And so, I think in this weird way, we've been told we can never like ourselves. I mean, the most basic example is if someone gives you a compliment, you automatically go, oh no, not at all. But thank you. I mean, the polite thing to do is deny that you are worthy of a compliment. But then on the other hand, if I were to have asked you that question and you would say, yes, I think I'm wonderful. I really like myself, period. People listening would be like, "Oh my god, this girl! I can't believe she just likes herself." You know, so I you know. can't win. Yeah,
1: I know, I know. And you know what? A man would come on here and say, "Yeah, I do," and everyone would listening would be like, "Cool." And he would never <laughs> worry, He would never. That would never keep him up at night admitting that he likes so himself, true. right? <laughs> but we like hold ourselves, women as well. We we've always like tended to prefer women on the more like you know, discreet and what's the word I'm looking for
0: self-deprecating. Yeah. Yeah. We see that too with comedians, male comedians have all these jokes. They range all over the place, relationships, life, career, and then female comedians. It's always self-deprecating humor and they're hilarious. I love female comedians, but it's just so annoying that it's so difficult for them to have more of a variety of jokes
1: and have the world actually appreciate that. Totally. And like, we we need to start, you know, and I think we've made good strides in this, especially when it comes to social media, but we need to start like applauding and celebrating women for being strong and self-confident and standing in themselves and really being proud of themselves because we've always been taught, yeah, to be self-deprecating and just kind of cower a little bit. So I think generally we tend to not warm to women who are strong and confident and self-assured and who stand up for themselves Um, whereas we never uphold men to those standards too and I think that's what social media is is really good at now as well there are so many incredible feminist accounts that are just teaching women to stand proud in themselves and you know not to pit ourselves against each other and pit women against each other and really like break down that the patriarchy, which like feeds into then all the aspects that we're talking about. So,
0: so true. Actually, I just watched like all the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentaries, movies, and I found myself crying at them because I was just like, yes, like get us our rights. Like it was just, and we grew up in a time where we're on the back end. So like we still receive these ideals of be the one who takes care of everyone, be yeah. the one that's presentable, be the one who looks elegant. Like we still have that conditioning. But fortunately, me growing up, I didn't have to worry about my right to vote. Like that was there before I was born. But you watch these documentaries, you learn this history, and you realize how different the society has been set up for women. And it's crazy. Totally. I thought of another fun, deep, dark question. So oh, <laughs> here here we go. <laughs> what is the biggest struggle you still have when it comes to food or your body?
1: Oh, that's a good one, actually. And you know what, that something, this is something that I don't really talk about that much on social media, because I'm kind of wary of talking about food because I just, you know, it's, it's difficult for anyone watching and what they're going through. I'm scared of triggering people, but I know that we've had a trigger warning. So, um, I still find it really hard to eat carbs at dinner time and like past kind of 3pm. And it's just this weird, like arbitrary rule that I was put in place because I saw someone on TV, I was watching a diet programme, probably this terrible programme here called Super Size Versus Super Skinny. What a British programme that's really awful. But I think they said that you shouldn't eat carbs after 6pm and that any carbs you do eat after them, your body won't metabolize and it'll just sit on you. And now we don't, I know that's not true, but that was such a rigid rule with me for so long that I still find it slightly difficult. And anytime I have, like I, I, I do, I have carbs all the time for dinner, but I still feel like proud of myself when I do, because it's kind of a little bit hard. If
0: it makes you feel any better, girl, I eat bread at past seven every single night of the week. So I like that's my cue to have a loaf of bread like, oh, it's dinner time. I'm going to have dinner and then a loaf of bread on the side. But <laughs> I appreciate it. that. Thank you. That's that's it's, it's, you know, it's good to know everyone still has their their little thing that they think of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And all these weird food rules. Right. Because I consume so much like magazines. Here's how to lose 10 pounds TV. Here's how to lose the stone, you know. Right so many other sources that I had all these weird rules I thought I had to adhere to. So, And it's crazy
0: how they stick with you. Like you remember yeah. this one commercial, I would have to say if I had to think of something I still struggle with that like yeah. I'm afraid of is my weight. Like I don't weigh myself, so I don't yeah. know, okay. but I really do fear a moment where I learn my weight by accident, whether the doctor says it, whether when I get pregnant one day and they have to weigh me and I need to know it. Like I even, my parents just got a Peloton bike. So they've been biking and I had to plug in my height, weight, name, age. And I didn't plug in my weight because I don't know. I don't want to guess. I don't even want that to be associated with me. And I have these moments where I think like, gosh, are you really this weak that you can't even like, you can't detach from a a stupid number. And I'm like, you know what? I can't detach from a stupid number because that was everything to me was like how much I weighed, like screw how I looked in the mirror. If I, if I could just say I weighed this much on the scale and like that dates back, talk about the childhood memories that we don't remember. I mean, I remember being 12 stepping on a scale and like that was numbers starting for me. So it just dates back years and years. And no matter I how confident. Yeah. Yeah. No matter how confident I am with my eating and the intuitive eating and the recovery, like I just think the day I find out how much I weigh, I'm going I'm to freak
1: out. So hard. It's so hard for anyone who's become obsessed with the scales. It becomes such a phobia. I'm the same as you, honestly. Like every time I pass them, I get this like spike of anxiety because I'm just terrified of the scale still. Um, so it does, yeah. it leaves lasting scars for sure. You know, and, that, and that's something that I would like to work up to a point where I can weigh myself so I don't live in fear of, like you said,